listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. At Rx Safe, we believe in improving patient health by challenging conventional wisdom, upending the status quo, and transforming the retail pharmacy industry. Our innovative technology solutions are designed to accelerate your pharmacy's success and change the way you do business. We develop long-term partnerships with pharmacies and other industry innovators to help attract new customers, create additional revenue streams, and transform the traditional pharmacy model. Become the adherence packaging leader in your community and practice at the top of your pharmacy license. Get started today. Visit rxsafe.com. That's rxsafe.com to learn more. Hey there, welcome to today's webinar. I'm really excited about this. We're gonna talk about defeating DIR fees with long-term care at home. And before we get into this wonderful panel, um, which I'm so excited in the gathering of this, I wanna bring something up to our listeners. If you are watching this through YouTube, through RxSafe, um, through their blog, um, you, you'll be able to see the screen that reads in, in big, uh, big titled letters for this article from the New York Times. It says, desperate families search for affordable home care. Today is so relevant to what's happening in our nation. The nation is facing a severe shortage of AIDS and high cost, high cost are, are prevalent. People are trying to keep aged loved ones at home, often cobbling together patchwork of family and friendships in order to see these people get the care that they need. And what do I think? <laughs> community pharmacy, enter independent community pharmacy at a time that you're needed more than ever. And what's about to happen? with the explosion of our baby boomers continuing to uh, grow. They say there will be over 12,000 every month in the, in the year of 2024 that will be added to that, uh, that age bracket. And um, the, the consumption of home care services is going to be so needed. Every day we know community pharmacies are facing challenges right now, especially with, uh, with, with relying on dispensing fees alone. It's really not a business model that, that you're going to be able to, to grow as, as we saw it sustainable um, 10, 20 years ago. And those dispensing fees, it's, it's just not enough as a community pharmacy owner. Today's pharmacies, we needed to diversify incomes. Think about cash-based businesses, stream, uh, profitable business streams and income streams. Um, you think of the diversification. We've heard about testing. We've heard about point of care. But today we're going to dig a lot deeper into home care services on top of the tools that come with that as a pharmacy. Uh, adherence packaging, uh, being able to guide people to stay on their meds, increasing adherence. I'm excited to introduce today's panelists. Uh, we want to welcome Paul Shelton from uh, Pharma, Pharma Complete, as well as Rana Hauser, uh, no uh, stranger to uh, these panel discussions. Um, with the NCPA. Susan Rodas is back um, from Jerrymed. We're so appreciative of Jerrymed being here. Debbie Marcello with Happier at Home, the host of the Happier at Home PRN podcast on the Pharmacy Podcast Network, as well as pharmacy owner Thomas McDowell, owner of McDowell's Pharmacy, as well as a Happier at Home franchise so that we can talk about things that are actually working and not just conceptual 
I'm so excited about this. We know that the first quarter of 2024 is going to be a little extra stressful on our independent pharmacy owners with a new uh, change in system at point of sale um, happening with DIR fees, uh, 2023 plus the trans new transparent uh, DIR fees that occur um, in, in when that money is extracted from your whole revenue cycle. And this means pharmacies are gonna be paying uh, significantly higher DIR fees than normal for that first part of 2024 until all of the retroactive fees have been paid. Um, this will have a significant impact on cash flow. Before we get started, uh, welcome back, Debbie. It's so good to see you here. And, um, and thank you so much for all the content this year on Happier Home PRN. Oh, thank you so much, Todd. And I think that what we're presenting to everyone is vital to their survival of our, our listeners that are pharmacy owners. And um, I'm so happy that you're always on the cutting edge and bringing everyone information. So I'm excited to be a part of this panel. Thank you. Thank you. Rana, it's so good to see you again and you being part of this panel. It's like I said, I think we have a we have a packed panel today and I appreciate you being here. Thanks, Todd. Happy to be here and talk about what we're doing to uh, help pharmacies be more engaged in LTC at home and also can speak a little bit to what we're doing to gauge the impact of the DIR hangover uh, that you mentioned earlier. So happy to be here today. Thank you. Absolutely. Susan, welcome back. Thank you. And thank a special thanks to Jerry Med for all of the support that you've given us in multitudes of, of ideas about how to navigate this. But I want to welcome you. Thank you very much, Todd. I appreciate that and look forward to the conversation. Paul, it's wonderful to have you here. I enjoyed the recording that you did at the uh, NCPA with Framework LTC, Framework Focus. I have listened to that conversation several times because I've been taking notes for some of the planning that we're doing, expansion of long-term care pharmacy services. So I really appreciate you being here. Absolutely happy to, Todd. Thank you for having me. And the guinea pig of the room and uh, who we test everything, <laughs> pharmacy ownership. It's uh, Dr. Thomas McDowell. It's so thrilling to have you here because you're really where the rubber meets the road, Thomas. Thank you, Todd. I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm working with most of the folks on, on this panel. So you've got a, a great group and excited to talk about today's topic. We're going to kick this off. And like I said, rubber meets the road with a pharmacy owner. This question and just the kickoff is going to open up with Thomas. And that is, what do you see happening in the industry right now, Thomas? And, and why are we talking about why is it so important? Not only the headline of the New York Times that screams to the nation that we are desperate for services and home care, but we also know what community pharmacies are going through and the privately owned community pharmacies are going through in 2024. So Expand upon that and let us know what you see happening right now. Well, there's, there's a lot going on just in healthcare in general, but in community pharmacy, like you touched on, uh, the the change in DR legislation uh, that we've known about for a, a little bit now and, and have been kind of looking forward to, but kind of dreading uh, at the same time, it's uh, provides a lot of transparency at point of sale now in 2024, which is exciting. But uh, like you mentioned, the the clawbacks will still be happening uh, from Q4 2023. They'll still be clawing back fees uh, in early 24 from the the low, uh, you know, after DR fee 
payment. Uh, so that'll create a cash flow crunch at least for several months. And and that was something that wasn't really thought about when the legislation was put together, I guess, or was left out. Um, but it's it's still a, a good move, I feel like, as far as transparency goes. But uh, we just need to be thinking about other ways we can position ourselves to provide services and and find revenue beyond the dispensing because the dispensing is is not uh, you know is not great uh, on on the retail side and so we're always looking for different ways to adapt and and uh, you know seeing where we're going in this country as far as baby boomers aging and needing more services, home care, pharmacy, uh, long-term care at home, pharmacy services, you can really start connecting some dots to take care of patients in your local community and, and keep, you know, keep them as a part of your uh, you know, family versus them getting sucked up into the healthcare system. And with all of these other major players that really have a hard time taking good care of patients. Uh, I, I believe healthcare is best locally. And so we're positioning ourselves to to try to keep taking care of patients and, and be profitable doing it. Excellent. Excellent. Rana, um, I don't know if it was 10 years ago. We'll have to dig into the NCPA archives. But I remember when the NCPA at one of your national events, one of the annuals, you announced long-term care by NCPA, and it became kind of a division within NCPA, so that we could do things that were specific to those community pharmacies that were that were growing and balancing, obviously their community pharmacy services, but also assisted living, which was expanding outside of their communities. As these pharmacies actually age with their own communities and populations over and over again, they're part of the community. But what insight that now we're seeing that this isn't something. It's just about staging anymore. It's literal. I mean, we're seeing that long-term care at home now is a real play. So talk to us about what's happening in the industry, what you're seeing happening, uh, preparation for things that are um, that are cash-based that give us an opportunity uh, to thrive in 2024 as a community pharmacy owner. Yeah, absolutely happy to, Todd. And as you mentioned, NCPA's long-term care division is alive and well. Uh, we see long-term care services provided by independent pharmacies is vital. Um, we believe that there's remaining huge growth opportunity for independent pharmacies to be more engaged in providing long-term care services. And we try to make those connections for our members because oftentimes our members may not even realize that they are truly providing long-term care services. So we want to make sure that um, members realize the value of long-term care and they're, they're in the business as much as they can be to help with other threats. Uh, Thomas mentioned the hangover is coming. The DIR clawbacks from 2023 will come due in 24 with lower payments at point of sale. And he's absolutely right. We supported at NCPA and advocated for these changes to bring our members more clarity and more transparency in their drug price negotiations and their contract talks with the PBMs. But we always knew that this period to get through the first half um, first three quarters even of next year is going to be very difficult. So we've been doing all we can to educate our members. We have an entire webpage at NCPA, to, uh, you know, totally dedicated to the hangover and what everyone can be doing to prepare for it. And uh, when I say that we are gauging these impacts, we're working with industry partners come the new year to see how severe this is. And 
believe me, will be asking for both administrative through CMS and the administration and congressional interaction if if needed. So um, all that said, uh, you know, I think a bright spot in our industry right now is LTC at home and what we've been able to accomplish with formation of the alliance and all the partners really working together to advocate to CMS to have plans recognize these services. I can talk here in a few minutes more about the alliance and what we're working towards, but I completely agree with you. LTC at home is a wonderful opportunity and one that more independents need to be aware of and, and be thinking of providing. Paul, you saturate yourself with data. You're extracting data from the pure long-term long -term care pharmacy, um, but you're also mixing that in with community and what is the evolution of what that means for profitability for community pharmacies. So as someone that is an analyst and deep into that, what are what are how do you think pharmacies uh, should be preparing for DIR fee transition the period between uh, 2023-2024? No, that's a great question. I think to to address the first statement there, which you know we look at data, it's amazing the number of times we've done long term care at home assessments for pharmacies and looked at the um, just the the current pharmacy payer groups that are paying either continue to pay retail rates with no DIR fee impact or retail rates with no DIR impact plus the dispensing fee and see how much of an impact this can make to a standard community pharmacy. I mean, at this point, I think we've done just over 150 of these assessments for pharmacies. And in one case, we found a pharmacy that didn't make sense to explore. And that's because they were only doing 40 prescriptions a day. And the question there was, okay, you either need to grow your pharmacy or close your pharmacy. It's not big enough to be viable in and of itself. But literally every other pharmacy we've done an evaluation for, even at a conversion of as low as 15% of their eligible patient population, it's made sense. It's been very additive. I mean, one of our customers moved 71 patients into long-term care at home from their community PSEO to their long-term care PSEO and had an immediate $10,000 a month impact on DIR fees. I mean, that's profound for a community pharmacy. That's the cost of a, it's a, the full roughly the full cost of another pharmacist to provide additional care in the community and to do things differently. So really seeing the, the data proving out that that long-term care at home is an extraordinarily viable opportunity to avoid that fee hangover. But at this point, if you're not already doing it, it's a little bit too late. It's not you're not able to turn that corner in in the next you know 19 days because I mean it's where we are. We're 19 days out from 2024, which is terrifying in and of itself. Um, but at this point, it's looking at other services, other things you can do. Um, start the process to get set up as a long-term care at home pharmacy. Set your get your taxonomy set with your your dual taxonomy. Get your combo shop set up if you haven't done that already. Um, but that process, best case scenario, takes 90 to 120 days. So what can you do near term? Um, we had the opportunity to sit down with about 18 pharmacy owners while we were in um, at NCPA this year um, at a flip the pharmacy conversation and got to ask questions about, hey, what are you doing? And, and it was amazing. Some of the things, the cash-based solutions that um, customers that pharmacies were doing, you know, they're doing travel clinics. It's not just the vaccine, but all the supporting products that go along with it. These are for, you know, huge vaccination clinics and it may not be a large volume on any given day, but each patient's coming in and getting a consultation of what they need. They're purchasing ancillary supplies to support their travel. Um, working in uh, 
you know, non PBM based compounding. So you're doing you know, your pet meds where you're, you know, it's amazing to me how some of our patients will say, well, I'm not paying 20 bucks for my insulin this month, but I'll pay $70 for Fluffy's, um, you know, medication. It's, it's just, it's amazing. And so finding some of those things that are cash, more cash based solution, um, engaging with partners who have um, little atypical concepts. Maybe that's a concierge medicine practice within your existing uh, pharmacy space. Again, none of these are quick fixes, but they're things that you can set yourself up for success as you're going into Q1 for 2024. Excellent. Thank you, Paul. Debbie, you couldn't have come at the right time when you came. I don't know if all this <laughs> happening. Here you are, um, you know, with a turnkey program to help community pharmacies implement services that their communities need. As I said, New York Times is now reporting on this desperate search for uh, home care services. Enter 19,000 community pharmacies throughout the country. And here we go with Happier at Home. So what a wonderful um, serendipitous opportunity to engage and insert yourself into one of my favorite parts of the pharmacy profession, mm -hmm. which is community pharmacy. Yes, um, it, it the statistics, as Paul was talking about, show that globally, the population of the elderly is going from 90.2 million in 2020 to 130.8 million by 2024, or excuse me, 2045. So as the elderly population is growing, we see that the number of home care agencies is decreasing. And why is this decreasing? It's because there are cuts in reimbursements from insurance companies. And in addition, larger retailers like CVS, insurers themselves, and other large companies see the writing on the wall and they're strategizing for their survival and to get their piece of the pie. So what I'm proposing for our community uh, pharmacies is that this is your opportunity. You are the one-stop shop in the hub for your community. You have your reputation. So um, have that help you carry your company into growth within the next few years. Um, this is an opportunity for you to be able to get a cash base source of revenue by expanding into home care services. And at the same time, as our other panelists are talking about um, using and utilizing the LTC at home with the um, pharmacy services, they go hand in hand. You have, you develop happier at home patients and you can serve those patients with their, at your LTC at home services. And as Paul was saying, with these other uh, potential sources of revenue, uh, travel clinics, if you also want to be able to do point of care testing for your patients in their home. So there's a lot of synergies between our um, home care patients through Happier at Home and the independent pharmacies. It makes too much sense to, to not give it a second look and really help you to be able to grow in and strategize in 2024. Thank you so much. Um, that's a great table setter for us to move to Susan and dig into what Jerrymed has been uh, formulating for years through special contracts that you've been doing. I want to ask a simple question, and that is the eligibility of this in order for our community pharmacies to know, hey, 
um, number one, I should be calling Jerry Med just to understand the contracting and things like that. But number two, let's talk about patients that qualify. Um, expand upon that, Susan, and, and let us know what you've shared with your with your membership. So that's a really great question because not every um, patient that's a Medicare patient qualifies to receive the, the extra benefits of having long-term care pharmacy at home. It is people out there that are um, a big deal is someone who is unable to leave their home without assistance. So someone who's not driving anymore, um, it doesn't mean they can't be mobile, but they can't be doing things like going to the pharmacy and getting their own prescriptions. They may need their son or daughter or husband or wife to assist them with that. So that's probably the biggest thing out there to look at, as well as um, ADLs, which is activities of daily living. They need to be needing help with things like toileting, dressing, taking shower, um, eating, and then IADLs, which is a, a special part that I think really brings pharmacy to fruition because medication administration is one of those. And if they have an issue with remembering to take their meds at the right time, taking the right meds at the right time, you know, setting up their medication correctly to take them correctly, any of those things would qualify them to say they have an issue with medication administration. It also includes things like banking. Are they able to do their own banking? Are they able to clean their own house? Are they able to um, go in and cook a meal for themselves? All of those things are important. So if you have two or more of those, then you are under the qualifications. And then maintenance medications. Do you have six or more drugs of maintenance medications you're taking on a daily basis? You know, somebody who may have one or two and they really don't need assistance with their medication because they're not taking very many would not qualify. Um, and then the, the last thing out there is three or more chronic conditions, medical conditions. So do they need to have those conditions? Um, are they listed? I mean, people like COPD, diabetes, hypertension, congestive heart failure, all of those type of things. Do so they have three or more of those disease states that they, they have as a chronic condition they're receiving medications for? So all of those things kind of tied up together. Um, it actually is set up as an attestation that the pharmacy can keep at the pharmacy there for each patient that they're taking care of. So that if somebody came and audited them and said, hey, this person really doesn't qualify, um, they can prove that the reason why they're on the program. Um, and I like to, to term it as more of a need than a convenience. I always talk about you know Joe Smith who lives in Florida and drives around in a golf cart every day playing his golf game. Um, and he just doesn't feel like going to a local community pharmacy to pick up his medications, he would not qualify because he has the ability to go to a pharmacy and pick up his medications. And he's driving around in a golf cart. So he's definitely not someone who be, would be subject to this. But you're talking about a lot of people out there, especially people who have you know, mild to moderate dementia, who are in their home and just cannot do these things on their own and ha have a family member um, helping them on a daily basis or have somebody else coming in to service them, somebody like a happier at home that is coming in to help them with doing things, they would qualify. And to me, the biggest thing is a pharmacy that's a community pharmacy is really someone who can attack this from a variety of sources. They're really the ones who are seeing what's going on with that patient. Um, they can pick up the phone and call Meals on Wheels if the person can't get you know, enough um, meals they have no family members around to take care of them. They can make those phone calls and connect that and have a coordination of care to make sure that that person is able to stay in their home because it's not just the medications. The medications are super important, 
Um, to me, if you can make sure people are taking the right drugs, you're going to have a lot less people going to the hospital or to a nursing home because they're taking their medication correctly. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to save the system money. We're trying to save Medicare money, tax dollar money, um, but provide great services so these people can have a better quality of life. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. That's terrific. And that brought us full circle. That brought us back to Thomas. Uh, Thomas, it's it's been layering over the years. Uh, your organization, your pharmacy has been very keen and paying attention to what the community is going through. You've kind of grown with that community. And you've invested in technology and processes and marketing and adherence packaging. And now you've come to a point where you've launched your franchise, Happier at Home, as a home care organization within your community. That's the layering that, that we're talking about to get away from always being held hostage to um, a, a dispensing fee per se, and really kind of building out the services that you that you've done as a pharmacy owner. Talk with our talk to our pharmacy owners listening in right now about some of that layering, about delivery, about uh, central fill and how you've used um, filling for times, sinking medications and adherence, and of course, adherence packaging, and it, and it prepared you for where you are today with uh, with uh, long-term care at home pharmacy services well it, it definitely helped that we built the infrastructure you know over several years uh we we have an rx safe rapid pack uh strip pouch packaging robot that we purchased right in the middle of the pandemic uh really more of just a a way to scale up our adherence packaging that was before i had you know even heard of long-term care at home uh, at that point. So we were just trying to get more feels, you know, and keep patients more adherent, uh, you know, have a positive effect on our star ratings. And we really grew our adherence packaging program. We developed a delivery model uh, that was very efficient, uh, got a lot of help along the way, asked a lot of questions. And so that really made it a lot easier to transition into the long-term care at home space because we had uh, that model and we've been doing long-term care services for uh, skilled nursing facilities for 30 years. And so that makes it easier, but uh, it's it's still a, a fairly easy entry. It's just understanding it. And there's just a lot more awareness around it now that uh, the folks on this panel are bringing uh, to community pharmacy owners, which is great because there's a great opportunity there. And and so we've you know transitioned from, from that over into long-term care at home. And that's allowed us to, you know, have enhanced reimbursement and, and truly be paid uh, more fairly for the work that we're doing for these patients, the, uh, the adherence packaging, the delivery, uh, the regimen reviews, uh, the accessibility, and the long-term care type of services, and keeping those patients healthy and, and uh, at home and keeping them out of the hospital, which is a big advantage to the payers and to the healthcare system in general. And, and we saw an opportunity to uh, take that a step further and, and complement that with happier at home. Uh, these patients that are receiving long-term care at home services are also patients, you know, when we're talking about needing help with ADLs, that's what we do on the happier at home side. Uh, if they are needing help with the, the IADLs or the ADLs, uh, they're a good candidate for happier at home services. And so uh, the two, you know, revenue streams to programs really 
complement each other and, and we can help those patients uh, not only receive their medications in an efficient and timely manner, but we can, you know, have a caregiver go and, and remind them to take their medication. That's kind of the last piece that we haven't been able to do is, is make sure they actually take every single dose at the right time. Even if you put the time and date on the pouch, uh, it, it still doesn't always happen. Um, and so it's, it's just been a progression, just keeping my eyes open at all times to, to see how we can still, you know, be a factor and add value. I always want to add value to our patients. I, you know, if we're just dispensing and doing the same old thing and letting everybody pass us by, then, then I'm not doing my job to add value to, uh, to our community. So that's kind of how we got to where we are. Excellent. I like how you built that out in chronological uh, process order and it makes sense and you're, you're well prepared for what's coming and, and that's extremely important. Um, Rana, you mentioned something with your opening that I want to come back to, and that is the Alliance for LTC Pharmacy at Home. Talk to us a little bit about that and, and what you mentioned and how that um, will help to support this ongoing initiative and, and the coupling of NCPA's power, as well as the ASCP and the SCPC, which is really all of these, um, these organizations that are really helping to navigate um, the very specific services that are within senior care. Absolutely. I'm happy to. NCPA with our long-term long care division has for several years had payment for LTC at home as our top priority. And we were very happy when going on about two years ago now, CMS at least put out a memo to plans that CMS recognizes that these services exist, right? They recognize their LTC pharmacies providing care to Part D patients and some of those patients may be located in a home setting. So it was at least a good entree and we feel like it was a big uh, win to get CMS to recognize these services, right? Moving a, a giant uh, federal uh, bureaucracy is not easy. So um, we were pleased that that happened, but we knew there has to be, we know there has to be more, right? So we joined forces with our partners in the long-term care pharmacy space. Um, that's the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists and the Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition. And we, were, we said, hey, guys, we really need to have a formal structured effort to define what LTC at home is, what are the services the pharmacies are able to provide, who are the patients eligible, to Susan's earlier point, and what are the savings associated with these services and what's the marketplace look like in the future? You know, the number of, uh, of patients eligible for these services or eligible for, you know, long-term care needing long-term care are supposed to triple, right? And the number of beds available to take care of them is going to stay stagnant. So we felt that the time was right. So about a year, year and a half ago, we formed the Alliance for LTC at Home. Uh, we have a website, so please check it out. It's pharmacyathome.org. We outline who we are and what we're hoping to accomplish and I will say to date, um, there's been a lot of successful efforts that have come out of the Alliance, educating key members of Congress and key committees on what we're trying to achieve. But our number one goal still remains to get CMS to put forth a regulation that would not only recognize these services, but require payment for these services from Part D plans. And you know, under the same general constructs that LTC pharmacies are paid today for caring for those patients and skilled in other facilities. We want to add on another layer of patients eligible, which would be at-home patients, um, and do it under CMS current authority. 
So we've had a lot of good dialogue with CMS and we're gonna continue to do so and uh, get, get them as an agency hopefully to move to mandate plan payment for these services. All right, I, I do have a follow-up question and that is, and this may be for either you or I would assume uh, Susan, and that is the documentation of patient care, which is such an important part of bringing that data back to our payers, uh, CMS, for example. So how do you document patient care in long-term care at home pharmacy setting? Um, like I said, you, Susan or or Rana, whoever, whoever wants yeah, to. I'll, I'll let Susan take that. She talked about attestation earlier, and I know Susan's great to expand on that. Yeah, so if you, you're remember everything, nothing happens unless you document it. So if you don't document that you did something or that you interacted with somebody, then it didn't happen. And, and that's, that's a kind of a tenant in healthcare in general. Um, you need to put something down someplace that you actually accomplish something. I mean, if you don't have a prescription for a drug and someone audits you, you're going to get that money taken away because you don't have a prescription. So it's just like that. Um, it's the same type of thing. You have to have that documentation that you picked up the phone and you called. You know, if, if Mrs. Jones has three doctors that she sees, you need to call all of them. And you need to make sure that everything's the same. Um, that it was the month before. And if there's changes, you need to document what those are. You need to document that you've talked to the caregiver. Um, Thomas was talking about that, you know, we still don't have a methodology to make sure somebody took their medications. You need to talk to the caregiver and make sure they're giving the medications at the right time if they need that help um, and make sure that that's happening. So any, any of that stuff that you're doing will document that. And then documenting, you know, if Mrs. Jones last year went to the hospital four times and you through your services that you're doing and coordinating their care now this time year they only went to the hospital once that's a significant decrease in costs and you need to show that um, that's probably one of the biggest things that we've been asked is tell us how this saves money for the medicare system and while there's some studies out there and it's kind of a no-brainer i mean to me if you take the right medication and you know 30 percent of people that are readmitted to the hospital is due to something going on with their medication and you can prevent that from happening, it's kind of a no-brainer, but they want data. So any data you can collect, um, we work with several pharmacies who have collected data out there and shown that to plans who are very impressed with that. They're not impressed enough to change what they're doing on payment, but they are impressed with it. Um, I think that's a super important piece of what you're doing. And that demonstrates the clinical abilities of the pharmacist. I think you know, I've been out of pharmacy school for a long time, and we've always been talking about clinical pharmacists doing the work that they need to do, and we need to do it so we can show that it's worthwhile to pay for these extra services that you're doing. Paul, I, I understand it was initially long-term care pharmacy that you really started digging deep into and your clients mm -hmm. um, started out there, but now it's the ebb and flow of uh, our macroeconomics of senior care throughout the country is kind of bringing those two closer together. Community. Absolutely. What can you share with our listeners that you've learned in, in kind of the rising of this opportunity and, and something that I know that you're personally excited about? Um, really? I mean, it's, it, 
we see in most community pharmacies the opportunity to participate in long-term care at home um, because they're already doing it, right? They're already serving those patients. Um, I, I think of my chief of staff's dad who's been served by our local community pharmacy for the last six years and uh, the fight we had with him to get him to convert over to, you know, to compliance packaging. And, and he's a prime example of someone who needs long-term care at home. He can't safely drive himself um, away from the house. Um, her mom has to take him to all those doctor's appointments, take him to the pharmacy. Um, he needs support with about three activities of daily living. And, you know, he swears he's a healthy guy. He's like, I'm, I'm, I don't need this. Um, prior to receiving compliance packaging, he was in the hospital every single month for six months. And we, uh, finally convinced him to take the compliance packaging in, in, in part because, um, my chief of staff articulated to him, said, Dad, this is a benefit that's paid for by your insurance. He happened to be in one of the plans that does pay a little bit more for long-term care at home. And so she was able to convince him that this is something your insurance is already paying for. Why don't you take advantage of it? And we're able to get him to convert. Um, the, the pharmacy does exactly what Susan said. They document every single month that no changes have happened, that he meets the criteria. He, they, they do the attestation form once a year for him. Um, but in the six months since he's had compliance packaging, he's had one hospitalization. I mean, that, yeah, you know, these are not small hospitalizations. He's 27 medications, insulin dependent diabetic. And, and this is, a, you know, for me, this is a profoundly personal example of why what we're doing is making a difference. And every pharmacy we talk to within, 15, 20 minutes of them understanding what long-term care at home is, you can see kind of the technicians and the pharmacists start thinking, oh, wait, I know we've got this patient and that patient and this patient and that group of patients over there. They don't, in many cases, understand that group homes can be institutional long-term care. So they don't they don't understand that some of some group homes qualify for assisted living levels of reimbursement. And so in many cases it's a lack of understanding in the community pharmacy that they are servicing long-term care patients already. And to your point, Todd, it's like, you know, we grew up in long-term my, my my organization grew up in long-term care. That was where our happy place was. We were there all the time. And as as we're seeing these two kind of worlds collide into long-term care and long-term care at home, it's really been eye-opening how many community pharmacies are already doing this work. They're just not getting compensated for it. And and really that's the that's the challenge is, you know, unless you know to set your pharmacy up under that that combo shop to, um, dual taxonomy and, and bill correctly for those um for those patients, whether they're an assisted living facility patient, a group home patient, or even some some of these I was talking to a pharmacy last week's doing a hundred skilled nursing patients and billing it through their retail PSAO. And you just sort of like my man, we got to figure out how to fix this because you're leaving thousands of dollars on the table every month because you're not getting paid for the work you're doing. Um, and so really where we've had a lot of success and frankly, a lot of fun this year is helping pharmacies understand what this can be and how it can change the fundamental you know, bottom line of their business in, in a world where we've seen gross margin in community pharmacy compressed from 25% on average nationally down to the, you know, when we see some of the programs are around the 19 to 21% gross margin. Um, and then we see a, a shop that's doing reasonable 
um, long-term care at home volume. And that number's back up at 26, 27% again, because they're getting compensated for the work they're doing. That's putting community pharmacy back into a healthier position so that we can continue to get them through 24 and into that next phase of what is community pharmacy going to be. Deb, Debbie, I want to <clears throat> shift the gear back to the implementation phase and, and being able to expand home care. Um, Thomas made a really good point that he had infrastructure to do so. The offering that you present, the services that you present to our community pharmacies have become more and more focused the more that you've done this because you're actually starting to add things. Um, but talk to us about implementation. Talk about us. We're, it's, we're, we're doing this webinar in December. Uh, we know the new year's coming. What's the timing? I know that you've answered this. I've asked you this question before. You said sometimes it's different for different pharmacies, but on average, how, how long does it take us to roll this out so that it dovetails into the services that Thomas was prepared for? So as I said, it does vary, but um, it is also based upon the owner. So the owner, if they're following our due diligence uh, schedule, so they're learning about us, uh, understanding what services they would be providing, which would include not only help with those ADLs and IADLs, but also acting as a care advocate. So going to those doctor's appointments, making sure they're medication compliant and um, understanding that their loved one is um, actually following the medical regimen that the doctors prescribed. Uh, and then also um, where the pharmacy may leave off, as Tom Thomas was saying, uh, with delivering those medications, not knowing that that patient is taking them, there are different medication management solutions. So management and making sure they're staying compliant. So understanding what the business is, um, the process of learning about Happier at Home and uh, starting up a Happier at Home is usually about three months. Um, however, each state may have licensure requirements. Uh, you go to Alabama, they have no licensure requirements for uh, a home care company. North Carolina has some that are different from California, um, but we help step through all of those uh, on a one-to-one -one basis with the consulting. So we're looking at anywhere from three months startup to about six months, but usually we somewhere right in, in between is a sweet spot to get, get going. And I know our uh, one franchisee in Iowa, she, uh, specifically started this um, so she could have that cash-based source of uh, payment and make up for losses where our profit margin is usually about 35%. So uh, I heard from her probably about a month ago and she said, you know what, it's not only, uh, it's doing what I wanted it to do, uh, earning a revenue source that is actually keeping us afloat right now. And she said she just wished she did it sooner. So um, I think that there's always reasons for not starting a new venture, but it, there's more reasons for not getting started immediately um, to, to help strategize and grow your business and survive, honestly. More than survive, to thrive um, and have... Mm -hmm 
pharmacies that can do more, what ends up ten, end up happening, independents end up giving back to their communities in so many different ways, creating jobs and little league support and, and local schools and scholarships, just so many things that can come out of that. I want to turn back to Thomas and just say you're now a well-oiled machine. You fused community pharmacy services with adherence packaging, RX safe technology. You've aligned the happier at home um, uh, ability to service more, to do more in the home care uh, realm. Talk to our pharmacy owners about um, marketing those services to get the messaging out so that we can, so that the, the community knows, hey, McDowell's now has a, um, a, a pharmacy service that gives home care services to us as well. <clears throat> yeah, you, you can have all of the, the technology and the services, but if, if you don't tell anybody about it, they'll never know. Uh, so we try to tell everybody about it every chance we get. I talk about it when I'm out networking and, and doing marketing and sales, and, and we've tried to blend you know the services together so that they're very complementary and and uh you know cohesive so people already know about our pharmacies and that helps us uh you know with talking about happier at home services because we have good relationships with our community our patients our providers in the area and so uh you know folks are looking for a home care agency they can trust so that uh makes that a lot more seamless and there's already a relationship there versus starting from scratch. Uh, we have a captive audience of patients coming in and out of our doors every day. So, uh, you know, taking advantage of, of the foot traffic in your pharmacy to, uh, leverage other services, which is always important. Uh, you know, we have the patients coming in your, most pharmacies do unless they're a startup or very low volume, you have enough patients, to be profitable, it's just how are you going to be profitable and, and add value to them and let them know about what you're doing. So uh, we were active on social media and, and we also get out into the community and, and talk to folks and, and build relationships. Uh, that's, that's what's worked for us. And I think that's what it's all about, making sure that if you're an owner that you try to get uh, out from behind the bench, uh, working on the pharmacy, as much as possible versus working in the pharmacy or letting the pharmacy run you. Uh, it's very hard to grow, grow your business or, or grow new services if you can't get out from behind the bench. Yep. Excellent. I want to ask the question. I'm thinking, Susan, you probably come across this with your membership through Jerrymed. If a pharmacy owner comes to you and says, now, how do I actually get started in building my long-term care um, at home program? Um, how does how does a pharmacy owner take the steps? They may not have done what Thomas has done. As a matter of fact, we know community pharmacy owners, everybody does it a little bit differently, but there's got to be this blueprint that, that you've shared with other members. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to know that you don't want to necessarily join a group like ours until you really have enough um, basis for patients that you're taking care of because it financially doesn't make sense to do that. You have cost to sign up with a network, cost to sign up with certain plans. Um, so it's, we we kind of target a, a number of 50 patients to really make it financially worthwhile for you to join um, a network like GeriMed. Um, and you're going to get cost savings both on, on, you get cost savings on 
brand manufactured drugs, as well as on um, better reimbursement from the PBMs for those patients. So you have two things to look at, but you really need that number of patients and you need to make sure that you have the number of patients in the plans that are going to make uh, a benefit for you. So there's a couple of plans that don't do that. So that you got to be careful when you're coming over and talking to us that you have the right mix there. Um, and definitely people that we have on staff can help you with making sure that you're um, doing this at the right time. And a lot of times we'll tell you, go back and keep working on this and get a few more patients before you actually sign up for it. Um, and then you're, you will be benefiting yourself all the way around. You're not going to spend money for nothing because you do want to make sure that you can do this. Um, we've had people who will come in and, you know, have 25 patients and then they can't do it anymore and they've spent a bunch of money for nothing. So we highly recommend that they really take a look at how many people they're taking care of and how many of those people that are walking in their door would qualify for it. Um, and, and something I want to make sure of is that they, you understand what you have to do to be a pharmacy that can do this. You have to follow the the criteria from CMS, the 10 list of 10 without doing um, e-kits or e-logs, but everything else you really have to do. And the biggest three are going to be compliance packaging, 24-hour um, accessibility, 24-7 accessibility to a pharmacist and delivery of the drug. So those three things have to happen. And I'm going to say compliance packaging about 15 times now because that's when people come back and go. Compliance packaging, do we have to do that? And it's like, yes, you have yes. to do compliance packaging. Um, so we're not talking about insulin or injectables. We're not talking about liquids. We're not talking about ophthalmics. We're talking oral solid medications that you are supposed to be doing that. Um, you're really not um, going to be doing uh, the, the, you know, beyond oral solids. And, you know, people asking that question, yes, if you get an antibiotic, you should put it in some special packaging. Yes, if you have a PRN, you should put it in special packaging. All of it should be done that way because that's a big part of the service and what CMS requires for you to be counted as a long-term care pharmacy, period. It, Susan, if I can, I'd like to interject too. The IV and, and um, custom compounded medications is another one that a lot of pharmacies miss on when they set up because that's one of the 10 criteria. It's actually two of the 10 criteria. Um, and we find a lot of pharmacies don't have access to IV. Um, and there's a PBM right now that's actually doing an attestation for pharmacies to say, I can meet these 10 criteria. If you don't have a contract in place to be able to provide IV services, we strongly recommend setting that in place. There's a Bunch of a bunch of different organizations you can outsource that to your local hospital if they've got a um, IV capable um, pharmacy. Definitely get that contract in place. You'll probably never need it if you're just doing long term care at home, but it is one of the requirements for um, CMS's guidelines. And again, Susan is a completely accurate on compliance packaging as well. We get that question all the time. Yes, and I'm and going back to the IVs and the and the compounding. It's a capability of doing it. It's not just exactly. doing it today in your pharmacy. And I think people get confused about that. It's the capability of doing it. So if you have a contract to subcontract it, that's literally in the manual with CMS. It says in there that uh -huh. you can subcontract it. So don't let that scare you to say, "Oh my gosh, I don't have a foot in my in my pharmacy. I'm not following <laughs> all these guidelines from USP." I can't do this. Yes, you can, as long as you have that separate contract. And we can help with that too. That's not a problem. Absolutely. 
And I know Susan mentioned 50 patients. I mean, if you look at most pharmacies that have been paying attention to anything that NCPA has said over the last 10 years around medication synchronization, compliance packaging, and that process, if you have a MedSync program and you've got a compliance packaging program and you've been doing this since, you know, Rana, when was the first time you guys started talking about this at the national conference every year? It was like, what, 2012, 13, somewhere in there? Right. Like MedSync was the, yeah, 2010, <laughs> exactly. The proactive approach to pharmacy. Um, so when you synchronize your patients, that's a proactive approach to pharmacy versus a reactive approach to pharmacy. Inside that, if you have 400 patients that are on MedSync, you can easily find, in, in, in our experience, you can easily find 50 to 100 patients that will qualify for long-term care at home, that will qualify for increased reimbursement. And it makes sense. If you don't have that 400, start small. Um, you know, find other, if you have a, if you already have a compliance packaging program, look in that, go through those, go through those patients and see who might potentially uh, meet those criteria. Um you know, look for the, those low-hanging fruit opportunities, group homes, home health care agencies. If you have a happier at home franchise, uh, cool. That's literally just a, a ball of, of patients that are probably 95% of those are going to qualify for you. Um, so it's a great opportunity to plug into. But just because you're, you know, you're, you haven't started this process, it, it is not the, it's not as hard as it, it can seem. I mean, it can feel very overwhelming when you're talking about it's a 90 day paperwork process or 120 day paperwork process, but just identify patients quickly. Um, look at the bins and PCNs that apply, look at your patient population and you can probably identify those without too much effort. The other thing is ask patients. It's amazing the number of times that I go into a pharmacy and they say, we've got this great compliance packaging machine behind us. I've got my rapid pack and nobody wants it. And I ask, well, how many people have you asked? None. Okay, so every time someone walks in with more than five medications, ask them if you want if they want you to put it in packaging for them, um, and that gets that ball rolling to help find and identify additional patients for you. You know, I'd also like to mention that as far as the qualifying factors go in documentation. Uh, Susan obviously is so right about documentation, and as a registered nurse. That's always a mantra. If you don't document it, it's not done. Within our uh, systems for Happier at Home, your caregivers have a way to um, list out what, it, what types of services they provided with each visit. So we'll have, Thomas may put in what their care plan is for each visit, and it would include those activities. And when the caregiver clocks out by telephony, um, that caregiver will call a, call the number to the scheduling system uh, and it will ask them, did you complete this activity, yes or no? So we have the documentation for each visit that these activities of daily living or IADLs are being completed as well. Um, I cannot help it. I always revert back to where I started in pharmacy and it's the pharmacy management system. It's that pharmacy software. And as everyone's talking and I'm watching um, our participants and the webinar increase, I'm thinking of people listening to this in a podcast, that million dollar head scratch question is, can I extract a report from my pharmacy management system that could quickly identify, am I a good candidate for long-term care at home or am I not? Now, there are a lot of intelligent, very well-to-do uh, community pharmacies out there that are doing, that are prospering and doing with it, probably already down the road. Then there's a the mixture of those that are on the fence that are like, 
I want to get into this, obviously. There's there's money to be made. There's services that are desperately needed for my communities. But let me know how to run a report to actually assess. Is it two LDL, ADLs? Is there three chronic conditions, limited mobility? Do they take more than six medications? Paul, I can't help but to think of you because you've kind of operated this a while. What report is that? I mean, there's lots of PMS systems out there, but how would we come up with that formula to, to say, hey, am I a candidate for this or am I not a candidate for this? Um, at a high level, pull patient claims data for the last 90 days with patient unique patient identifier on it and then sort it by Ben and PCN. Um, you're looking for um, ESI and Optum patients to start with that are on six or more medications. You can probably look at the six medications and determine if they've got three chronic conditions. Um, and then that's a good starting point. It's not perfect by any means, but it at least give you a group of patients to address. Um, there are some tools available out in the market that um, you can utilize to get that done quickly. Um, there's a couple of different organizations that can help you sort that. Your, pre your prescription management platform um, should have a claims history. It's literally just a claims history report you're looking for. Thomas, let's talk about referral sources. You're in the thick of it. You have all the pieces, like we said, moving forward, ready to jump in and hammer out a very successful and thriving 2024. Talk to me about uh, identifying good referral sources and and what you're going to target in in the new year. Uh, so, you know, letting providers know about the long term care at home program, they're they're going to love the extra care and services and and the quality that you're bringing with the adherence package and the delivery, the accessibility, and and the whole suite of long term care specific services. They're going to know their patients are being taken care of, uh, so they're going to be talking about you. Um, you know, home health, uh, hospice, and and um, you know, hospital systems, nursing homes, and a lot of the same. You know, on the happier home side, when we're doing uh, marketing and sales to referral sources, a lot of times they're uh, you know one in the same with the pharmacy and the home care side. So we can really uh, talk about the whole suite of of uh, senior care services that we're offering, which makes it a lot easier uh, because they just complement each other so well. So, uh, but we're always really trying to let the providers know, uh, the prescribers, uh, especially on the long-term care at home side. Uh, but, you know, identifying those patients within your own four walls is the easiest way to start because like Paul's mentioned and, and Susan and and uh, you know you have patients that you're providing these services for. You just need to uh, dot dot some I's, cross some T's, and and make it a little more formal and and follow the guidelines to do it the right way. Uh, and so it's easiest to just start doing some research and digging and find out who qualifies for long-term care at home within your pharmacy. Uh, so that's what we did to start with, and then we started marketing uh, and and letting folks in other areas know what we're doing. So Debbie, you have a blueprint for taking a community pharmacy from pure pharmacy play into deeper into home care. And you have coached so many pharmacy owners to implement your, 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 your strategy. Let's go back to that same question. From your perspective, what are you coaching your members, your new franchise owners to do to, to properly put the message out in the community to physicians, to care people, to 
um, you know, churches, uh, what are you talking about um, with them to, to market these services? Well, Thomas is correct that so many of the referral sources are going to be um, synergistically aligned. So um, with our training, what we talk about are the pillars of marketing. So uh, our pharmacy owners have developed these relationships, especially if they're providing LTC in facilities. So you may have relationships with uh, the transitional care, case managers, uh, physicians' offices, discharge planners, um, those are a great focus because as you know, if a patient is discharged and they return within 30 days to the emergency department or are readmitted, then they're all going to lose money along that whole healthcare continuum. Uh, so it would behoove them to refer their patients to you upon discharge for a very safe discharge home. And that's something that's not going to cost them anything, but it's going to save them money. It's not going to cost them because the patient private pays for these home care services. Um, additionally, we look at our email marketing campaigns. So many of our pharmacy owners have their client database and those clients uh, can become part of their email campaigns that we at Happier at Home manage for them. So uh, when I go on to our Fox News channel speaking about uh, home-related, caregiver-related issues every Monday, those videos are then sent out to your patients so then they're educating. It's you're staying in front of your audience and your clients um, and you're educating them. You're not just out there saying, hey, start using us, but you're actually providing value and hoping that you're developing that reputation and quality care reputation for them. Uh, additionally, of course, there's social media marketing, which I have to say Thomas is awesome at. He's incredible, makes educational videos, TikTok videos, um, things that are quick, informational, and people can use. Um, but he's staying in front of people all of the time. So we have this roadmap for our, um, our franchisees. And um, we have our coach that meets with our franchisees to make sure they're doing those things. And maybe they get tied up and forget about one part of the marketing. And so we just make sure that we're keeping them on that road to stay in front of everyone and really utilizing their great reputation that they've developed within the community for, uh, through their pharmacy. Thank you so much. We have burned through this, this time together so quickly. Um, I wish I had another uh, hour to spend with uh, with all of you. This has been absolutely incredible. I want to let the listeners know that um, that if you reach out to RxSafe, RxSafe.com, even if you're not an RxSafe uh, client or customer, they have access to give you all the pieces of the puzzle and the connections for uh, Susan, for Paul, for Rana, for even talking with Thomas. Um, Debbie is included in this mixture and this blueprint. You're going to be at different stages and when you're going to launch this, how you're going to launch this, understand you're not alone. Please reach out to the NCPA. If you're not a member of the NCPA, make it a commitment to change your pharmacy's trajectory and thrive in 2024 by becoming an NCPA member. Um, this last question does come from our audience. I'm going to um, ask this of uh, Rana. We know that CMS is going through uh, due diligence to determine and to uh, verify 
you know, continuing expansion of long-term care at home services and reimbursement. Let's talk about the, some of the private organizations, um, Humana, some of the, the you know, the commercial um, insurance providers. What can you tell our listeners and if, if there's going to be reimbursement in the, in the future for more um, long-term care at home services? Yeah, and I know Paul alluded to Express Scripts and Optum earlier. There are some, um, you know, party plans slash PBMs um, out there who do recognize the importance of these services. There are others who have yet to do so to pay to that higher, you know, rate. So it is definitely a work in progress. I think there's a lot of conversations going on between uh, partners such as Susan and the plans and the PBMs to keep educating them. It's all about education, right? And then through our alliance, we're working very hard with. CMS to make sure that um, they could add this to the um, you know list of patients who have to receive that. They could add at-home patients to the list of patients who have to receive that higher level of care through access standards that that exist today. So it's definitely an ongoing effort. We think this administration is is very keen on making sure patients age in a place of you know place of choice. So I think this is a, a wonderful opportunity, and we're going to continue working at it. So um, education is key. Well, once again, I want to thank you so much for participating, uh, Susan. It's so good to talk to you again, uh, Debbie, as always, and being part of this network. Some amazing things. Paul, uh, we're never going to let you off the hook. I'm going to keep bringing you back to the pods and talking more about expanding long-term care services. Uh, Rana, thank you so much for what you do and a shout out to the NCPA. And Thomas, like I said, uh, the the guinea pig of the group, and it's working. So it's it's a uh, it's a celebration today that what you have built is working is going to take you into 2024 to be a thriving independent community pharmacy. So I want to thank you all. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Todd. And for more information, please go to rxsafe.com. Once again, that is rxsafe.com. A shout out to the RxSafe team for putting together this webinar as well as this podcast. We wish you a happy holiday season as well as a very happy and thrusting us into some amazing success for 2024. Uh, reach out to any of us um, on, this, um, on this webinar for more additional help. And you can always find me at Publisher, that's Publisher at PharmacyPodcast.com or uh, PharmacyPodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.